Well, when I last spoke, uh, I spoke a bit about at Christmas about unveiling the Father. Now, Kirk's asked me to pick up on that. So um, today, I want to talk about covenants, which seems a little strange. And covenants is a really big, scary word to us. You know, we don't use it a lot in everyday terminology, in everyday speak. Now, it was used a lot. You know, Paul talks about in Galatians three. It was used quite a bit during the Bible. It was an everyday word, he said. And the closest thing we have now um, is probably um, marriage, the covenant of marriage. Or something like if you go to rent or buy a a house, uh, you know, sometimes they give you a covenant, which is a list of rules, and you have to follow that, otherwise they they can kick you out. Uh, So... When God uses the word covenant, his promise, it's a promise to us. And he backs up his promise. He does everything in his power um, in order to keep his covenant with those he's made a covenant with, his covenant partner or partners. In um, Psalm 138, the next slide, it says, You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. So God is placing the value of his words or his promise, an example with Abraham, to to whoever his covenant partner is. He will keep his covenant. He puts his word above himself. So that even says that God puts his promise above his character or his nature. So when God makes a covenant promise, these are airtight promises that God is making. His word or his promise he puts even above his character or nature. So uh, in scripture, we basically see that there are five covenants. Um, there's some debate about that others, but we're not going to go into Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and the new covenant under Jesus. We have... Uh, a covenant promise. Okay, so Jesus at the new covenant gives us a covenant promise. He says, "This is, this is my blood of the new covenant." And then he, the next die, that day, he dies on the cross and establishes the new covenant. But what we have around that is what we call uh, the story, or what we call the canon. Now we use not the word canon as in a big gun. You guys probably know the word canon as in scripture. Uh, the canon of scripture. So there's a canon, I guess, we're using that word in the same way, around the promise. So Matthew 1 is the start of the canon. So, you know, Jesus is born, the wise men show up, and it goes all the way up to the covenant promise, which is then inaugurated at the cross. So we see that, that Jesus was born under the law. It says in Galatians 4... When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus was walking his every day under the law until he brought the new covenant promise at the cross. Where he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Now, in this church, we very much live and we understand the new covenant is a covenant of love. And hopefully we have a really good picture of who the Father is. Jesus 
is the picture of the Father. He has revealed to us the true nature of the Father in himself to us. Now, when I was a new Christian, back when I was 20 or so, um, I had a simple picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, my sin was forgiven, and that was my basic picture that brought me into the kingdom. Great theology right there. Very simple. Okay? Now, in university, I didn't really know much about the Bible. I knew a few stories. Um, but we had a great group of friends up there. And we connected with them really well. So, um, this group of Christian friends, you know, we sort of understood this context of Jesus, you know. Um, Incidentally, that was also where I met Kirk and Nicole some years ago. They were the youth pastors uh, in Townsville. And we had a great time living together and struggling, you know, our Christian walkout. Um, but it was based on this very simple picture of Jesus as our great theology. Now, soon enough at university, we started mixing with other Christian groups. And I'd soon realised they had a different picture of um, what Jesus looked like to them. I'd hear that this group over here, you know, um, they worshipped on Saturday. This group over here, they were like, um, you can't eat bacon. All right? And this group over here were like, well, we believe in full immersion, we believe in sprinkling, and things like this. You get the picture. Okay? So something inside of me was like, well, this isn't exactly the picture of Jesus I was introduced to. Okay? And it was like, well... I didn't really know what to do with that. Um, so, but what they were saying, effectively saying, was something, you had to do something. You had to jump through a hoop. You had to do something in order to be acceptable to Jesus. And I was like, this doesn't sound right. I don't, I don't know much about the Bible, but, you know, it doesn't sound right. I understand. He came into the world uh, not to put us in bondage, and the true picture I had was that a father wants relationship with us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That was the picture I had. So I took those questions, you know, all those things, and just put them in a little box and just left them aside. So what they were really almost saying is what I, or maybe I was hearing this, is that I wasn't a Christian unless I was doing something like this. Does that make sense? Now, J-O-Y. Who remembers the J-O-Y principle? Yep. Go for it. Fantastic. Jesus, others, and yourself. Except, I didn't hear it like that. Okay? Now, I know that's what it means, um, but... There was a visiting pastor when I was in Townsville, and he came, and he didn't put it like that. He said, this is where the slide comes by, Jesus, okay, and the Y is yourself. But he said the O stands for nothing. Just something different, you know. So the idea is don't let anything get in between your relationship and Jesus. So these guys were saying, you can't eat bacon. 
Alright, so you've got Jesus, yourself, and bacon. Alright? Is bacon going to get in the way of your relationship with Jesus? Well, you just eat the bacon and move on, sort of thing. Nothing should get in the way. Now, some of you right here, this is great theology, okay? Maybe you're at this point where you just need to pick this up and run with it. Don't let anything get in the way between you and Jesus. And if something wants to get in the way, I just encourage you. Maybe you need to put it in a little box and ask the Holy Spirit about it some other time. Or just run with it. And, you know, maybe hopefully... Hopefully I'll give you a couple of answers about it today. So back to my story. As I mixed with these groups, um, I didn't have any answer for what they were saying. You know, they'd sort of look at the Bible and quote verses and things like that. At, At university then came another group. And this group, they knew the Bible. Particularly Leviticus, in Deuteronomy. Anyone know who I'm talking about? The atheists. Okay. So, as Christians, we know the Bible is the word of God, which it is. And we hear that God never changes, which he doesn't. But then they, we meet the atheists, and they quote these things to us, and they say, have a look at Numbers 15. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to the man. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. So we know the Bible and that the Bible is the word of God. And God never changes, but what do we do with something like this? We're just going to change mics. So what do we do with a passage like that? This is so obvious to us that it's out of character of the Father. Okay? What we see here is a picture of how God operates under his covenants. He has made a covenant, in this case, with Moses. And that covenant is the law. God's character, we see in some scripture somewhere, um, was veiled by the law. A list of rules and regulations. He had made a promise to Moses and Israel that he would keep the law. The law given at Mount Sinai was a turning point. Before the law came in, there was grumbling There was complaining in Exodus 15 against God. They grumbled over the poison water, the food, the manna, and they even went to collect food on the Sabbath. Okay, But there was no punishment, no punishment at all. Up until Exodus 19, the law was given. After, we see more grumbling, and it caused the ground to open up. They grumbled about the bread. It caused a plague. They grumbled and complained about the water, and it led to fire falling from the sky. Romans 4.15 says that the law brought wrath, and we see that, start to see that picture here. So before Mount Sinai, God 
the father heart would forgive them. He knew their grumbling, but he had made a covenant under the law and they were bound to the covenant and God was bound to the covenant and it brought wrath. But how did things get so bad? Now, I'm just going to take a sidestep um, for a minute or two and just explain some of the natures of covenant. There are three types of covenant. The first one is called the Grant Covenant. So the Grant Covenant is where we have a greater king, okay, and we have a lesser king. And the greater king makes a promise to the lesser king, and all that the lesser king has to do is receive it. No conditions, no strings attached. Okay, so greater king, lesser king, promise goes one way, no strings attached. The next sort of covenant is a kinship covenant, okay, which is like an equal-based uh, covenant. So two, two equal kings are making an agreement and they make a, they make a written list of rules, okay, that each one has to follow. And if your covenant partner goes to war, you will back it, back him up, okay? You'll go with him, okay? And if you go to war, he'll back you up. So it's an equal based kinship covenant. The last one is what we call, um, is a vassal covenant, where you have a greater king and a lesser king again. But the, it's like the greater king has just brought their army in and they've just wiped out the nation. Okay, and all that's left is um, the civilians. And they say, and the king says, well, you know what, I could kill you right now, but if you pledge to be slaves and build things for me, give me tribute, then I will spare your life. So that picture of vassal is a little bit like Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, the Egyptians had to make some bricks Obey or die. Okay, so the three types of covenants. Now, which do you think is in God's heart to give? Shout it out if you... Grant covenant. Okay, so the grant covenant it makes a promise that all we have to do is receive, nothing else. Okay, this is a picture of grace in the new covenant. Great picture of grace. Now, when we look at the covenant God made with Abraham, we see the following. You can read about it later. But God says, get some animals, cut them in half, and then chase the birds away, and I'll show up, and I'll make a covenant with you. Okay, so Abraham's there. He cuts the cows in half, and he's walking along. The birds come down. He's chasing them away. God's not showing up. Where are you, God? You know, keeps chasing the birds away. Was God late to the party? Well, he waited till Abraham fell asleep, okay? And then God came and he did the ceremony of passing through um, the cut meat. Abraham didn't pass through. This is the picture of a grand covenant. God made a promise to Abraham that he would become the father of a great nation. Abraham didn't have to do anything except receive that promise. So this is, the, this is what's in God's heart, the grant covenant. Now fast forward that up to six, seven hundred years to about Exodus 19. God makes a similar offer of a grant covenant. He says, I will make you into a nation of priests. Now David spoke a little bit about this, um, but I'll just go over it briefly. So 
Israel was in slavery, you know, for 400 years. We know Moses came along, he rescued them. Um, perhaps the greatest story in the Old Testament. And they come to Mount Sinai and God offers them plan A. I will make you guys into a great nation of priests. I want you guys to be my ambassadors to the world. So we see in Exodus 19, God's plan A. If you listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, um, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. An offer of a grant covenant. But, now this is a big but, they get afraid. And it's like, well, we've got a better idea, God. So they say, Moses, we want you to go back and get us some rules, okay, and we'll follow the rules. So God's promise of a grant covenant gets changed into a, a kinship covenant, okay? They write down some rules invoked in the covenant, and Deuteronomy 5 says, you know, they say, go near and listen to everything the Lord says, and we will listen and we will obey. God relents if only they had such a heart to me to fear and would have kept my commands. My children would have prospered forever. God offers them plan A, which is the grand covenant, and they tell God, we want rules to follow. And he offers them, and it changes into a kinship covenant. The kinship covenant become God between God and Moses comes into effect under a list of rules, the Ten Commandments. And they build an ark, put the rules in the box, and they live under the law for 1,300 years. So plan B, just to the kinship covenant, there's an ark. And God is the covenant partner with Moses. So God is in the blue cloud on the right, on the right. Yes, the right. Okay. He makes this agreement. And remember, he puts his word above his character or his nature. And this is what's happening here. He, however, also God is in the, the yellow cloud where he becomes the one who blesses and the one who curses them based on the law. So when they bring the man who's picking up sticks on the Sabbath, well, God follows his covenant and he says, you've got to stone him. Was it God's heart to stone the man? I don't think so. No, definitely not. In fact, definitely not. Okay? We saw before there was another Sabbath violation before the law and there was no punishment given. Grumbling happened before Mount Sinai. There was no punishment. The law came in. God had to uphold his deal. He'd blessed them when they did good, but he also punished them when they broke the law. God was operating under the covenant of law and the agreement he made. It's uh, Lamentations. It was a bad deal. God was put into this place of a kinship covenant where he never intended to be. He offered a grant covenant and it turned into a covenant of blessing and cursing. Very different to the one we saw he made with Abraham. And it's this law of rules that veiled the father. 
Lamentations 3.33 says, For the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to his abundant faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. God was their covenant partner. God had to back his act when uh, when the law came. So the Israelites came from slavery, from becoming out of slavery. They became underneath the law. Now the law was seen as somewhat of a good thing. It raised the bar from where they were. They were living as slaves in Egypt under the Abaiodai sort of vassal covenant. And it raised the bar. It gave them a set of rules that if they followed, they would be blessed. So, you know, it was good. Make sure you wash your hands before you eat. Don't eat that nasty bacon. You know, those pigs, they're pretty awful. You know, and follow this, this decent set of rules. Okay. And it sort of, it elevated them. Okay. Now, Galatians 3.32 says the law was their guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So the idea that the law was their guardian is when you have a guardian or a tutor living in your house, you are raised by the guardian. It looks after you. Okay, It's above you. It looks after you. Till the time that you grow up and you actually become an adult. Okay, then in your household, you have more authority than your guardian. This is the picture of the guardian as the law. Okay, so the law was the guardian until Christ came. Galatians 3.32 says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need to bring a second one. We have a superior covenant. Now fast forward to 30 AD, okay, when Jesus was around and he's just about to, to die. Jesus, well actually a little bit before that, Jesus is questioned and he says, what is the greatest law? And he quotes Matthew 22. And he says, this is the greatest law in reference to the old covenant. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So basically Jesus is quoting from the Ten Commandments and says, this is the greatest of the old covenant law. All the other laws hang off of this. Okay? It's number one, number two in the Ten Commandments. Later on in John, just the night before at Passover, um, Jesus says, you know, this is the blood of my new commandment. But he also, it wasn't at Passover, but he reiterates it in John 13 and John 15. He says, a new commandment I give unto you. Love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus has just summarized the old covenant in Matthew 22. 
And then he's come and said, this is the new covenant. This is the new commandment. Okay, Love one another as I have loved you. Now, at first glimpse, they both look good. And they probably sound about the same. Okay, But if we look closer at the old covenant we start to see it's conditional. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. Seems okay. But, so you're loving your neighbour as with as much love as you have to give. So what does that look like for you? Well, as much love as I have for myself... I can give my neighbour. Starting to see the picture? Well, what if I don't love myself very much? I don't have a lot of love to give. Okay? It's conditional based on the amount of love that I have to give. It's also conditional on my understanding of love. My, my version of love. Okay? What is my picture of love in loving my neighbour? Maybe I say, hi, you know, and that's as much love as I can give. Um, Or maybe it's like, I'm going to keep out of their way completely because that's my way of loving them. Okay? We've got all these different pictures of what it is to love. It's conditional love based on what you have to give. Now, if we look at the new commandment that we give, he says, love one another as I as Jesus has loved you. Now, it's not conditional. This picture is not conditional on your own amount of love that you have to give. Okay, It's love one another as I, as Jesus, has loved me or you. Jesus is asking us to love everyone the same way that he loves them. So that's what Jesus has done. He's taken the law, the highest law in Matthew 22, and he's elevated it. He's elevated the law and he's given us one commandment. Love as I have loved you. Now that's a pretty high standard. So when you see your neighbour, you've got a, a standard to live up to. Now, that's a pretty high standard. We'll talk about that a bit later. We need to learn to love them, okay, as Jesus sees them and Jesus loves them. It's not conditional, it's unconditional. And we see that at the picture of the cross. Jesus said this is what love is. Jesus has given us a new law of love that is better and superior to the old law. The old law is inferior, outdated, and has no place in our life anymore. The law veiled the Father into a distorted picture of who the Father was. And now we see the true, perfect nature of the Father revealed to us. Galatians 3 says... 
why uh, 3.24 says, Why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Now, sometimes we have this problem where we think the old covenant should still apply to us today. And without this picture of seeing how God operates under the old covenant, washes it away and gives us a new covenant, we start to mix the covenants. Okay? This is how we end up, atheists end up with this distorted picture of God and how as Christians we start to put hoops for people to jump through to get to Jesus. Maybe you've been in a group that has mixed the covenants. It's like take this 100% Jesus pure living water and, um, well, you can't eat bacon, you can't watch TV, this rule, that rule, and you start to mix the covenants. The old covenant was called the ministry of death. So 3% mix it in, 3% death in your 100% living water. Who wants to drink that brand of Christianity? No, thanks. Okay. Don't mix the covenants. The new covenant, the law of love that Jesus gives, has superseded the Ten Commandments. Now, that might be really hard for some of us to hear. The new law is now the law of love. And we have to learn to love from Jesus. The ministry of death has been replaced with the ministry of the Spirit. Okay, can I have the next slide? Thanks. We trust more in our strength to keep a list of rules than trusting in the ability of the Holy Spirit in us to live and love as Christ loved. Jesus gave us one law, the law of love, one commandment. But where's the list? I want a list. Well, if you run everything past that law of love, you're not going to need a list. How do I love my neighbor? You've been told. you know. So it's going to lead to, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to murder. I'm not going to steal my neighbor's donkey, you know, all those things. It all comes from this new law of love. Now, in the new covenant, it's, it's a picture of grace. It's a picture of grace. Now, picture it like this. Grace is like the floor here, okay? Uh, God has ripped up the old covenant and laid a new covenant of grace. So we're standing on that floor. We cannot get any lower than that floor. If we fall down, we cannot get any lower than God's grace. But God's not just calling us to stay in that place of grace. He says, well, love, we've got to build in love. Okay, so, okay, Jesus, help me to love my neighbour a little bit more like you loved him. So he builds a little frame and we do it together. And it's elevated, okay? So we step up, okay? And we're understanding love, how Jesus loved a little bit more. And then we might have to make another one. Oh, that neighbor that, you know, he cut that tree down and it's fallen. Oh, and I've fallen off my platform of love. But the floor is grace. 
Make sense? This is the picture of the new covenant that we live in. Thirsty business. I did that floor because I might fall through this floor. It's that promise. It's that unconditional promise. It's that grand covenant that God has given us, the grace, the picture of grace. We can fail, but as long as we're growing and learning to live in love. We do not need to mix the covenants. Now, just, I just want to address before I finish just a couple of traditional roadblocks um, that we have. The first one is that the law is good. Now, I sort of addressed that a little bit. It was good in the sense that it elevated Israel and brought the guardian over them until the time when the seed came. So the law was good, but we see that we have a superior and better covenant that we live under. Okay. One of the other things is people says that the law was broken up. I think Martin Luther brought this concept into three, moral, civil, and something else. It says that if you follow one part of the law, you can't, you don't eat bacon, you're under the entire set of the law. Okay. So you've got a choice to make. You know, are you under the old law? Or are you completely under the new law? Another scripture that sometimes, you know, this is a bit of an interpretation, but it says the law, not one jot or tittle, will be removed from the law until heaven and earth passes away. Now, this can be a roadblock for some people. So I want to put it to you that in, in the culture that day, you know, there was a temple and the temple was decorated, uh, the Holy of Holies and the, the most holy, the other holy place just outside of it was decorated to look like heaven. Okay? Outside there, they had a dirt floor. It was decorated to look like the earth. Okay? So is Jesus really saying the law will exist until planet earth is destroyed? I don't think so. Okay, he, he talks about a prophecy about destroying the temple, and it does happen in the end. Now, one other thing is that in the Greek, the word cosmos is used for planet Earth. Jesus does not use the word cosmos here. He uses the word GE, which is the Earth or the land. Okay, now even if that's pretty, that's pretty out there, okay? Now, even if you don't want to accept that, you've still got a choice to make, new covenant or old covenant. So could I invite you to stand with me, please?